loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Lynn Hightower. She's the author of numerous thrillers, including the Sonora Blair and Lena Paget detective series and recent best-selling The Enlightenment Project. Lynn's internationally best-selling novels have been included in the New York Times list of notable books, the London Times bestseller list, the W.H. Smith Fresh Talent Awards, and the Seamus Award. Lynn teaches master novel classes in the UCLA Extension Writing Program and works as a manuscript consultant writing coach for novelists. Today we'll be talking mostly about grief, of course, and her, mo- her, her uh, most recent release, The Beautiful Risk, and what letter to writing it. Welcome, Lynn. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm very glad to have you. I, I, um, I also wrote a novel based on experience of loss. Did uh, you? Yeah, and it got published. I, I am not mm-hmm. the novel are you know with many many books but um i i particularly appreciated seeing how you wove your grief experience into a fictional story because mm-hmm. i thought you did that quite deeply and to be honest i'm i'm i love when when grief information grief learning sneaks mm-hmm. up people right? right because i didn't want to write a sad dreary novel Grief is so profound, and I wanted that in there. But I also wanted to write a sexy, adrenaline-fueled, firing-all-cylinders heroine, and uh, she's back to the wall. The things she does are jaw-dropping, and I like to think of it as John Wick, where the dog wins. <laughs> well, the the way that your novel has been advertised uh, is kind of... Because when you don't care if you live or die, you're always the most dangerous person in the room. And the reason that resonated for me is I got so much braver. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't know if it was entirely during my wife's illness or in great, you know, it was kind of uh, evolved over time. Mm-hmm. But I'm a much braver person than I ever was before all that. I agree with you because you really don't care anymore. The worst has happened. It feels like the worst has happened. What are they going to do? Right. I mean, before I put it in the novel, I said that to my therapist, I said, listen, I'm always the most dangerous person in the room. And he laughed. He said, you're five feet tall. And then he said, but you know what? I think you are. I think you are. And I am. And so are you. (laughs) <laughs> in the best possible way. So let's yes, let's in the best possible way. With with the listeners, um, this wonderful character, Junie, yeah. uh, the widow who is trying to solve the mystery of her husband's death. Right. But also I was quite fascinated with her as a musician. I'm a musician, maybe that's why. Are you? What do you play? 
also her as a person with a disability yeah and all that that kind of brought into it can you talk some about the story and how your own grief wove its way into Junie yes, yes because um Junie is belligerent about her grief as am I um and what I found was all of the things that people advised me to do and all of the general grief advice was pretty much 100% incorrect. And it made me so angry, right? I would read that and I would think, this is useless to me. This is no help to me. And what I realized is, oh, this is so everybody around you feels better. And listen, well, the people around you love you, and it would be good if they could feel better. But grief is back to the wall survival, and it is the one time in your life where you take care of yourself. Right? Well, hopefully. I, I feel lucky that I made a deal with myself that I would do that, despite the fact that I was raising children at the time. You know that, Right. And you, of course, have to take care of your babies. My own grief. And it could ask anything it wanted of me. But yes. that had a long time to prepare. Right. What I clients is um, they don't know how to do that. They don't know how to, you know, and then they're in the situation where there's no choice. I don't know how it was for you. Are there things that made it more possible for you to surrender to taking care of yourself, to, to say, no, that's what I'm doing? Because most people I encounter are in a fight with that. Well, I was in a fight. I started out in completely the wrong direction. I was in what I call the grief Olympics, where you do everything they advise you to do to feel better, to get over it, to get past it, to beyond it. And, um, and you know, about eight weeks later, I'm sitting in my therapist's office and he would always come out in the waiting room and I'd always have a book. And I was sitting in the chair, clutching a book, not reading it. And he looked at me and he said, oh, no, come on back. Tell me everything. So I told him everything I was doing and and how I was a complete hot mess. And he said, do you like any of these things you're doing? I said, I hate every minute of it. I hate every minute of every day except when I am writing. And that is the only time I'm happy. And he said, then stop doing that and just write. And I said, well, how? Will I get over this? And he said, you're not going to get over it. You, Lynn, this was the most profound thing anyone said to me. You cannot fix grief. And I thought that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to fix it. He said, you learn to live with it and you will find something. Well, I already had the something. I'm a novelist and grief fired up my creativity like it never before in addition to that, but because I write novels, I wanted to live in the world of the novel. It was the only time of the day where I forgot it, and I was, I was happy. I, I was having a good time. So naturally, that's all I wanted to do. So there, there's a piece of addressing grief. We don't fix it, but we... Right, we address it. We learn to live with it, right? But to me, it has to do with there, there are right actions for each individual person. Mm -hmm. so someone starts saying, you should do this, I'm not listening anymore. But Exactly, but if it works for you, if it's what you want. Yeah, you didn't avoid your grief by writing. 
You wrote? That was what I, so I was doing five things and then I figured out these are the two right things. These are the three wrong things. So maybe I just needed space to figure that out. I think all of us do. All of all of us do. And and honestly, some things that kind of forced me to do them, mm-hmm. in, I, I haven't been into before or since. For instance, I had to put my hands in dirt every day. Yes. I was never a big gardener. Suddenly I had to put my hands in dirt. I did too. <laughs> I gardened like crazy. Did you know there's an antidepressant? Uh, uh, microbe in dirt well that explains it it's your your instincts no i went gardening crazy i created like this gardening sanctuary with you know my dog and i and uh that's so interesting because i was compelled to do it then and now it's not looking too good out there i need to get out do some work honestly i i remarried i've been remarried for 25 years Mm -hmm. My wife is the gardener. I, I, I very little. <laughs> yes. It's, but, I, you know, I, my husband was the gardener and I missed that. You know, what I really missed was he would take me to the garden center and say, just pick out what you love. And then he would take it home and plant it and do water it and weed it. And he would do all the work and I would just have all the flowers. And wow, I miss that so much. I read your your p- recent piece in Psychology Today. Mm-hmm. Um, what struck me about it, uh, because it did involve your garden, that's why I'm bringing it's, it up. It sure did. It did. So much was that sometimes life is such a powerful metaphor that that your garden got destroyed in the process of your husband dying. I, I mean, know. It was un- unbelievable. I just, I thought, I know this means something. I just have no idea what, right? Well, and at first you just do the next thing, the right. meaning later. But uh, it made me think a block from me, and I've lived here for a very long time, a block from me is a rose garden. Mm-hmm. And during the time that beautiful rose garden, I've walked in it, my kids, you know, that's part of their growing up. During the period my wife was dying, my first wife was dying, they removed everything to redo the rose garden. So. They, they stored all the roses. They tore up all the paths. It didn't exist. <laughs> it was completely eliminated. And then after it had died, they rebuilt it. Um, more beautiful than before. And with all the roses that had been there originally, Right. Um, it It's the same and different, just like you are after grief, right? Right, right. For me, everything was rubble. It was carnage. Physically and, and mentally, everything was just blown up, you know. It was, it was carnage. It was. I don't ever compare griefs. And at the same time, there's something particular about the person dying that you're physically entwined with. Yes. That's particular, that's that's woven into your everyday existence in every possible way. Um, you want the science view of that? It's simple entanglement, isn't it? On a subatomic level, 
You know, it's true love, it's soulmate, and it's science, right? I, I do believe. Um, so that sense of amputation, I mean, I think that's true of most profound grief. Yeah. It's literal. <laughs> you know, I really felt like I, I, I was walking around on one leg. Yes, no, I think it does feel like very much like an amputation. For me, what happened was I would just, you know, you get to the bottom line and you just say, I love you wherever you are. You know, grief is so much love. And eventually, and it took a while, I realized that it was coming back. I was sending it out, but the love was coming back to me. And I thought, you're still here. We're still connected. We're still us. And that uh, that made me feel so much better. Oh, that's why I wanted to write about it. That's why I wrote the, write the essays for um, the grief essays, because I would have loved to have known that when it first happened. I would have loved to have known, you know, energy cannot be destroyed. So whatever energy you have, your body wears out, but whatever energy that's left is very real and it's still there. Just the way I've thought about that, let me see if this resonates for you, because people have all kinds of beliefs. Yes. Right? And you, you know, nothing has to be proven. Follow your gut. Exactly. But what I do think is, um, for me, I was grieving the loss of a body on this earth, yeah. which is substantial. Yes, it is substantial. I wasn't grieving the relationship because that was continuing. Right. It took me a while to understand that. I think it's great that you knew that. Um, I wish everyone knew that immediately because it's such a comfort. And also you're grieving the life you used to have. Absolutely. The thing is, I don't know if people would necessarily, just having the information doesn't mean people will believe it. No, they have to feel it. But it has to be real like to them. Some, yeah. some um, signposts, isn't it? And mm -hmm. I was very lucky in that regard. We spent a lot of time with Stephen and Andrea Levine, who mm -hmm. were... He's dead now, but still pretty big in the grief field and, and end of life field. So I feel I got that. I got that information, even though I couldn't possibly know what it would be like to experience it. I, right. I couldn't trust it until I actually experienced it. I think but, you're right. You don't trust it until you know it. It seems preposterous in a way, but... <laughs> <laughs> mean we'll still be in relationship you know you're leaving <laughs> when i tell people i'm just at a different stage of my marriage they do give me funny looks <laughs> well i think a lot of people don't talk about that because of the funny mm -hmm. looks, don't you think because yeah. it's a precious thing to feel that connection and you don't want people trying to talk you out of it and you don't want them to frame it within their system and you're right and and that's i had to really think very hard about whether i really wanted to go forward with the novel but i'm kind of a all or nothing full steam ahead person and i just thought i'm doing it the thing about that that i really appreciate lynn is that 
nobody gets to argue with your character. I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's why it was such a beautiful way to deal with it. Nobody gets to say it doesn't work like that because that works for your character. Exactly. Exactly right. There's an exposure to these ideas that are so near and dear to me from working for decades in the grief field Mm -hmm. are just beginning to seep their way into, you know, culture, broad culture. Mm -hmm. But nobody has to know they're reading a grief informed novel to to read your book. No, it's, it's, it's just, um, it's a really cool adventure in my opinion. And and I really enjoyed the adventure part, you know, and, and what was happening the storytelling impact. I I also really love, and we'll, we probably won't finish talking about this, but we can start it before the break, um, that, and I found, this was another big shock to me, my capacity to feel sexually drawn to people, to, to want relationship, that, that didn't die with her either. I wasn't ready for it for a good long time, but... Some people are sooner than I was. Right, right. This thing to do with grief. It's called it has being nothing to do with grief. And you know, I'm a dog lover, and my thinking is, look, you're just adding another dog to the pack. <laughs> <laughs> I love that in your book, by the way. And and let's let's go back to that be- after our break because okay. um, there's so much guilt that goes into when people start feeling ready to love. Yeah. There's so much that goes on about that. And I think that's another good message to get out there. So I think so too. Mm -hmm. And listeners, you can go to my website or, or the good grief page at voice America, the links to all my social media is there and a way to sign up for my email list and to find Lynn Hightower, go to L Y N N H I T A. P-O-W-E-R.com. Back soon. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com dot com slash good grief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Lynn Hightower about her book, A Beautiful Risk. And right before the break, Lynn, we were beginning to talk about um, the fact that the desire to love mm-hmm. often continues. Uh, oh, for, it does. It does. My wife actually made me promise. Mm-hmm that I would not remain single. I was 42. That was part of it. That made me quite angry, actually, at the time. But it helped a lot when I started having those feelings because I never felt guilty. Yeah, but- and I I don't I don't understand the guilt. I, and that may be because I'm not getting it because I've never felt guilty about it. Um, but I felt not ready or I felt, oh, no, this isn't for me. There, there's this big trope, right? That if you're a widow, you know, you, you can't find anybody and it's just impossible and it's hard. And that's not true. You know, the world is full of really cool dudes. There are a lot of wonderful men in the world. And, you know, I always know by instinct, I, I you know, I used to would always think things through and red flag this, red flag that. And that's just all out the window. I know in my gut, yes or no. Here's the other thing. Tell me if this is true for you. I I feel as if being a widow for me was a bit of a litmus test. Because mm-hmm. the new person has to be relatively mature to mm-hmm that you are never going to get rid of that other person. Exactly. That's that's uh, one of the things I wrote about in my book, because she does find a new love, and he absolutely understands it. And I, I'm quite horrified when I read things. Well, be careful about dating someone whose spouse has died. What if they have pictures or a shrine up? And I'm like, listen, my husband's razor's in the bathroom. I've got a drawer stuffed full of his old socks. I know I need to deal with that. But until I'm ready, I'm not going to. And it's just part of what goes on around here. And, you know, if people have a problem with that, that I will, you know, I could respect it. I haven't run into it, but that's about them. That's not about me. You just fold all of that in. And honestly, aren't we 
I get the impression of you, and I'll say about myself, I'm a more capable person emotionally. I'm deeper. I'm I'm different in ways that show themselves in the relationship I'm in now. She wouldn't be married to this person if it was before my wife died. Um, so I think overall she finds that an advantage. She may not. It is an advantage because things are streamlined and simplified. You're secure. I mean, there was a time and God, I learned with my husband and he would just say, can you please just tell me what you want? And I'm like, is that even legal? He said, yes. <laughs> and, and he would always say, okay, that's fine. And I couldn't believe it. So I bring that to the table and I bring, I just don't have any patience for um, playing games or trying to, you know, not that I meant to, but now I'm just like very blunt. Okay, I like this. I want that. No harm, no foul if you don't. And you know what I've discovered is that men love that. You mean, you're going to tell me exactly what you want and I don't have to guess? I'm like, yeah, this, this, and this, but you don't have to agree. And most people love that. It takes all the uh, childishness out of it. It brings up a funny story that, that uh, happened in my life, which was when I started feeling ready to date. Yeah. I asked this friend who had been dating on um, an app, you know, tricks to dating, like I didn't know how to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> she sat me down and she told me all about the, you know, the games I ought to play and don't say too much. Don't, don't get in touch with this person before this. And I mean, she, about a half an hour's worth, maybe more. Right. right. And, she, and, and I said, if I have to do all that, I will never date again. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I no. For, I was low on capacity for that before, but I had none after that. And I didn't end up having to do that with my now wife. I think it's a strength. And I also think it attracts other people that are just fine with basic honesty. Um, and, you know, it's not like you have to get your way. You just have to say, well, this would make me happy. And that work for you to right. not be afraid of truth, uh, because sometimes it's uh, the first time I met my wife. You know, we talked about truthful things. Her dad had died within a couple months of my wife. We talked about that. Yeah. We talked about our spiritual perspectives. We talked about parenting and children. You know, right off the bat, because we were both primed to have real conversation. I think real conversation is extremely sexy. And I also, you know, I look back and think of all the things you don't say in any relationship or friendship or anything. And I always wonder why, why didn't I just say what I thought? Why didn't they just say what they thought? I love that. It's very lively and wonderful. It is. Let's talk talk about Leo. Leo. The dog. <laughs> yes, Leo. Leo is fabulous. He stole the show. Um, she's not my service animal, but she's a service animal. And um, I mean, dogs are just plain special. They are. You know, had other dogs. But this dog, who's specifically geared to attending, there's mm -hmm. some precious about that. 
And I had no trouble understanding that on the slight chance that Junie might find her service animal, her dog, yeah. she would all the way around the earth. She would That's go in to... Yeah, there's, there's nothing she wouldn't do to wouldn't. find Leo. But if you've ever had a shepherd and, and Leo's real and I have my shepherd, um, they'll find you. They are always on the job. So what you do is you make it easy for them to find you and they will. They're the most incredible. All, all dogs are incredible, but... Shepherds in particular, we've had two. And shepherds are very extraordinary. And, you know, my, my service dog is Leah. And I didn't even, I have the same hearing loss that Junie has, okay? And I'd always kept it secret because it made me feel vulnerable. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to put it all out in this novel. I'm going to do the grief. I'm going to do the adventure. And I'm going to do the hearing loss because I've got opinions on that too, right? Yeah. Um, and Leah knew I had hearing loss when she was a puppy. And she started alerting me. She knew what I was and wasn't aware of. And, you know, I worked with a trainer who would, she would train me to work with my dog. She would work with us together. Everything positive. She's just such an intelligent, wild little girl, you know. And she said, Lynn, she's, she's um, alerting you. She's a hearing dog. Most hearing dogs train themselves. It's an unusual skill set. It, it requires a certain reactivity and attune to, to sound. And a shepherd, I'm going to protect you and look after. You know, shepherds are protective. They're herding dogs. They look after you. And so, and she feels, it's funny, she feels great responsibility to take care of me. And I feel great responsibility to take care of her. So this is another odd little um, biographic similarity. I yeah. have that mid-range hearing loss also. Do you really? I've never met anybody else that has it. Never diagnosed until I got old enough that my hearing was declining a little bit anyway. Same exactly for me. Same exactly. Below the, the thing. So I was probably never hearing all that fantastically well, but it wasn't until... I don't know, six or eight years ago that I knew why. So yeah, yeah, I always, I never really realized it. And I really fought, you know, I've, I've hearing aids and I really fought doing that because I, I don't know. I just, it was like admitting it, you know, and, um, and my husband was just very sweet with me about that. And he said, I said, if you want me to get them so it's easier to live with me, he said, no, not at all. You just work so hard to hear. And I would like your life to be easier. Will you try them? I said, okay. And then he's like, okay, I'm putting you in the car. I said, well, I mean, I mean, he said, no, no, we're getting in the car right now. We're going to go try them. Because <laughs> he knew. <laughs> I was pretty reluctant to do it. Yeah. No. I, I didn't have a huge resistance because my family was getting irritated that I couldn't. Was too. My kids were. And I didn't like that at all. <laughs> I didn't either, but it doesn't mean I was going to get hearing aids. I was just going to tell them to quit. I was going to tell them to behave. <laughs> so profoundly strange that we have something. Mm -hmm. Hearing loss, grief over, over a death. You know, whatever it is, 
And somehow it's a loss of pride to just admit it. Yes, that's why I wouldn't. That's why it was secret. It was a big loss of pride. And um, and I now I love that I've I've talked about it. I've talked to other people with hearing loss. And they're like, oh, I loved reading that. And and now my life is easier because instead of hiding it and working so hard, I just say, listen, I, I would I I need to do a Zoom with a conference. Um, I have a little Ukrainian coffee shop where I like to write, and um, you know, I, they would always say, "Why don't you ever come get your coffee when we call your your order out?" And I said, "Yeah, I can't hear you. I have hearing loss." And they're like, "Oh, we thought you didn't like the coffee." So now they just bring it to me, and I'm like, "Wow, that's the terrible thing that happened, Lynn." <laughs> very well, didn't it? <laughs> it worked out just great. I mean, if I had to sum up my therapy practice, I'd say face the truth and respond to it right <laughs> i think that's so useful it's hard <laughs> and yet when you do it you're like oh man what took you so long you know should have done it years ago i i've i've literally brought that into therapy with people who obviously need hearing aids and are not <laughs> take mine out i say it's been a great improvement and i don't usually use myself as an example but um, sometimes that you should because you know, my son helped me. He said, Mom, I'm sitting across from one of my coworkers. She takes her hearing aid out, changed the battery, pops it back in. He said, it was nothing. It was nothing. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you might be talking in parentheses about youth culture, mm -hmm. that loss is associated with aging and we're supposed to be young and fit and everything. But uh, I just turned 70. Mm -hmm. Did you? The hashtag I put on my social media is 70 is the new 70. <laughs> I love that. So funny. You know what I found, though, when I did start talking about hearing loss is the younger, the youngest ones, the younger ones, they don't seem to have that association. And they don't seem to have, they tell me they have hearing loss. They're 19 and they're like, yeah, I don't know, loud music or earbuds. I have trouble too. So how did you how did you go forward you know when does it get worse what do you do about it how hard is it to wear a hearing aid where do you buy them you know and I'm, I'm happy to tell you everything i can help you with it's more more an internal thing that we maybe have that association i, thought, I think it, i had it but other people didn't i had it and once i got over it and you know i gave it to junie and junie's fabulous i'm like hey if she can have a hearing loss i can have a hearing loss <laughs> Well, Junie is fabulous. And she, another thing I like about your character is that you know how it, grief is this kind of intense in every direction? Like nothing's new. It's just so intense, so much bigger than you ever felt those things before. When she is happy, boy, is she happy. When there's That's joy. A very good point. Because, and yeah. when it's unhappy she is so unhappy i i felt you captured that aspect of grief very well i was completely unprepared for the joy i was too i didn't realize it was possible i would find myself walking through the kitchen and feeling almost like a memory and thinking i'm happy right now how is that possible it, it's a big chance I mean, what I prepared for was total misery all the time. Yes, for the but, rest of my life is what I was thinking. 
I don't I don't think that's called grief. What do you think? I think that's called grief expectation. Okay? Because um everything is deep, everything is intense, and you're exactly right. As hard as it is, it, it's also there's very wonderful magic to it that astounded me. Uh, the other feeling that was very vivid for me that I, I thought was a concept, not a feeling, but I think it's a feeling was gratitude. Mm -hmm. um, because to have a really pure grief, which it sounds like you did with your husband as well, mm -hmm. where you truly love that person mm -hmm. and their life ended, but that's that the, the love is not really affected by the life body dying right no um, it doesn't change at all at all you know there's no way i would trade that just to avoid the loss oh, part no. i if you know i told my husband before i said i would do this over and over and over again i would not hesitate was your let's talk a little bit about your husband and again we're going to go to a break momentarily so we'll just begin but i get the impression that it was a longish relationship i don't know how long but um deep and secure and support mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then was there a period of illness yeah um, he was ill for a while but the last year of our marriage when he was ill and, and i can pick this up later if we need to stop um our life became very small and very precious, and it was the most romantic year of our marriage. I want to talk about that because that resonates for me a hundred percent. Does it? Okay, that surprised uh, me. Yeah. It surprised me. Back to that after the break. Uh, mm -hmm. As I said, you can go to weatheringgrief.com. That's my website, or or all the links on the Good Grief host page. And to find Lynn Hightower and her great book, go to lynnhightower.com. Back soon. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to BetterHelp.com dot com slash good grief that's betterhelp.com slash good grief and receive a 10 percent discount for the first month these days everyone is looking for information on staying young healthy and fit the voice america health and wellness network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you we talk about everything from diet fitness and aging to substance abuse personal growth mental health and much more learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives tune in to the voice america health and wellness network healthy living starts here Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. 
You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Lynn Hightower about her book, A Beautiful Risk, and about grief and about our spouses and we're just doing the whole subject which is a delight um i loved how you just said before the break that the last year of your husband's life was the most romantic period Mm -hmm. of life because um i certainly resonated and my my wife was sick for 10 years so it's a little bit of a different Mm -hmm. um I spent more time afraid probably because <laughs> at first it was more about that. But um, sure it is. For me, it was uh, there was a point where I really accepted that the day would come that she died. You know, that that was going to happen. Yeah. I got hit by a car first, right? Right. And, um, there was some kind of presence that happened as a result that was really liberating. Mm-hmm. liberating to just be with her right there right yeah. and it extended to everything else how we were relating to the kids our friends the people who are helping us and i don't know if this happened at all for you but a couple of people we almost had to kick out because they would come assuming we were going to be sad mm-hmm. And most of the time we were not sad and it was very jarring. I, I actually kicked them out. You were not certain you almost kicked them out. I kicked them out. Some people didn't just didn't get invited anymore, but yeah. a couple of people yeah. were close enough to to say, sure. you know, you're coming with some kind of energy that has nothing to do with where we're at and it's it's not working. So you need to take that. If you can take that, go somewhere with it, mm-hmm. find to listen to that. That's fine. We honor that. You can't come here with it. Right. No, that's that's true. And people do bring that. They have a lot of assumptions. And it's like they're trying to tell you how to feel. And they're shocked that there's, you know, that you're happy, that you're going through your day and enjoying it and i just resent that so much i just resented it so much and also you know that last year uh my husband only wanted me and nobody else and i felt that was his choice and i was going to respect that and and so that's how it worked out and we just shut the door and it was us and the dog and 
it was a good way to do things for us, for us. I, I completely understand that. I feel I would have been more inclined towards that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my first wife was not. She was very, very, she was everyone's best friend. So I think you did the right thing because I let my husband call that. You know, uh, finding your way into your death is very personal and it's a stage of letting a lot of things go and just holding on to the things that you want to hold on to. And you don't have time to explain it to people or help them through it. You you just don't. Or energy. It's, it's sort of uh, walking around with a missing layer of skin or something. It took yeah. too, too yeah. much of us to do that. But right. people who were just with us could hang out all day. We just lived our life with them around. <laughs> right. right. Quality of what was going on with us sounds mm -hmm. very to what what you had, which mm -hmm. is sort of startling event when the person dies. But also I, I didn't feel it for a while because of that. I, I was in such a bubble with her. I didn't it didn't slam me at first. When she died it didn't. It did me. I think there was always a part of me that never believed it was going to happen. And then, and he was hanging on, you know, and, and then it did happen. And I could, I mean, I was in the abyss. Yeah. One thing I'm always em emphasizing mm -hmm. on the show, I feel I kind of hit the abyss before she died. But you mm -hmm. can't avoid the abyss. <laughs> That's, I, I really like to em emphasize that because this show is about transformation, and that does happen if you don't avoid the abyss. Mm -hmm. But find that if you're trying to avoid anything, right, it, not it doesn't work. You have to embrace it and weave it in uh, and learn to live with it. And, you know, I would ask my therapist, well, all the grieving I'm doing now before he dies, I mean, that's like, I'm getting a lot of the grief out of the way. And he said, no, I'm sorry. This is different, a very different thing. And it's not going to change how you feel when it happens, other than it may not be quite such a shock. But for me, it was quite such a shock. One thing I want to check in with you, you have a a, a part of the book uh, and this is about how other people handle the griever, mm -hmm. where the uh, Junie's brother and brother's husband are just so incapable. Yeah, they are. And, um, a couple of my relationships, my friendships, ended as a result. Several of mine did, too. I call it the collateral damage of grief. And so they kind of represented that in a way. Yeah. I appreciated that they were, um, you know, blood-related. Mm -hmm. And that even with people who are intrinsically tied to you, yeah. it's pretty intolerable when they come at you that way, isn't it? It's completely intolerable. And I... Um, 
I was in a place where it was survival and I had to take care of me. And I ended a lot of friendships and associations and just said, I don't want this in my life anymore. And you have a problem with how I grieve. That would be your problem, not mine. I'm not going to explain myself and I'm not going to help you through it. I'm just, um, and, and you just don't even want to get to another place with them. It's like they're on another planet. And maybe, you know, I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm just saying they can't be in my life anymore. I'm I'm currently just in my mind. I always write in my mind. <laughs> Eventually it maybe gets put down on paper, but right. I've a list of things to say to a grieving person. Oh, people always say such awful things, don't they? <laughs> No, there are lots of lists of what not to say. Right. Not that people read them and then follow that advice. Nope. No. Exist. If you if you type in what not to say to a grieving person, you will get a lot of I love looking at those lists. I love grieving articles that, you know, talk about the train wreck of unbelievable things people say. I think that people think that if they can find the right words, they can heal you. They cannot heal you, and that is not their place. And the only thing I ever want to hear is, I'm sorry, that's it. Two words, that's all I want. That's good enough. That's perfect for me. I do think there's another layer, which is that people are afraid of such intensity of emotion, and they try to... Oh, yes. yes, yes, absolutely. Um, most people who have grieved deeply... Mm -hmm. They may even say some of those words from time to time, but it's not out of fear and it doesn't hit the same. That's that's my experience. Uh, and they probably won't say those things because they know how ridiculous it is to say they're in a better place. <laughs> yeah. Give another angel, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> I think with me is I could always sense their intent. So um, it just meant that I was uh, not tolerant of a bad intent. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I could let things go if people said a wrong thing. It didn't. I, I mean, they couldn't hurt me. There's no way they could even get close to hurting me. So I could let it go if I felt they meant well. But if they were trying to appropriate my grief or reframe it, then that would make me angry. And that is a whole other category. So let me ask you, have you, uh, part of what I love about this show is I feel like I have a tribe, you know, pretty yes. much talk to, we resonate in that area. Mm -hmm. um, so I wonder, have you made friendships uh, after going through loss that have a different quality to them that maybe... Uh, Maybe you pick people who can be there with it, or I, I don't know what. What would you say about that? I would say my friendships are very different now. And and um, I ended quite a lot of associations, and I'm, um, I, I just don't have room for something that doesn't work, and I don't have room to carry someone through, if that makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, 
I I have fewer <laughs> friendships because I'm I don't have time for um anything that feels like appropriation or hunger for detail, right? I, I have zero tolerance for that. You you were saying during the break, um, I'm gonna paraphrase, but something like you've traded hope for purpose. Yes. Did I don't, I, like, hope. I don't like it. Uh, I don't like it. And, and that's a with what you're saying that you have purpose and you're not wasting your time right you may relax but you're not wasting your time with things that are wrong for you right you know, right i know what's right for me only me and i do not hesitate to go for that so maybe you know i can wish for another jenny lagarde book <laughs> you most certainly can because that's a world i want to live in it's a beautiful world and um i can see you know since since my wife died 27 28 years ago i have a sense and I, and i'm writing about this right now how life goes on a, a long life past the loss what does that look like right so uh, Junie, in five or 10 years, I'm fascinated to see what she might be up to. I am too, because in a way, you know, like I said before, I, I don't feel like I have a future and it's unfathomable. Um, but I'll be walking the walk and I'll see what happens. <laughs> that's, that's a good byword for the rest of our lives. I, I feel that I've, after all this time, Maybe there's a little more future, but I never consider it infallible. Mm -hmm. I, I always consider it provisional, which does kind of make life very vivid. I don't know. I feel my life is very vivid, but I do have zero interest in future. But everybody's different. I, I didn't at first. Yeah. And yeah. they may change. You're further down the road than I am. Who knows? Who knows? If it doesn't, it doesn't. If it does, it does, right? Right, right. <laughs> As it is. <laughs> I really appreciate you being here today. It's really been a delight to talk with you. And I it's hope it's been wonderful to talk with you. Yeah. Keep tabs on, on what you're up to. Okay, okay. Uh, again, listeners, you can find her at lynnhightower.com. Lots of other books that I'm, I'll be checking out. Next yes. Have Theo Boyd. After several very extraordinary losses, she wrote her memoir, My Grief is Not Like Yours. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.